Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. something really powerful going on in our country spiritually I think there is a shaking and there is a stirring of people toward God and toward Christ it's very different I know years ago I remember seeing this I saw a movie the Jesus Revolution and it was about that great time in the 70s when there was this really big revival and awakening going on particularly among young people in America and you just feel something like that is coming along I just be really honest with you I think there's a lot of reasons for it I think we have just heard and we have heard from secular culture it's had its day there's a really interesting story in the book of Kings there's a prophet named Elijah and he is challenging these prophets of Baal to a contest and they're basically going to call out on their God and the God who answers with fire is is God is what they're you know basically is the is the winner and so these prophets of Baal get out there and they're doing all these antics they're cutting themselves they're doing these chants and they just go on and on and on all day on and on and Elijah after a while just starts mocking them and laughing at him and making fun of him. He goes, where's your God at? You know, is he using the bathroom? Where's he out taking a walk? Where's your God at? And he begins to mock him. And there is, I think we're in a time where, I mean, I think secular voices, Hollywood, I think the voices that are attacking Christian faith and Christianity, they've had all day. And look what they've left us with. They've had all day. And they're, they're emptier, and they're more absurd, and they're more perverse than we've ever seen. And they're leaving our world dark and hopeless. There's a real powerful verse in Isaiah 60. Isaiah the prophet is speaking to believers, and he says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of God has risen upon you. Darkness covers the earth, and deep darkness of people. But the Lord's light will be seen in you, and his glory will be seen in you, and nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. In John chapter 4, Jesus, there's a story of Jesus, and he's at this well, and he's getting some water, and there's a Samaritan woman who was a very loose woman. She had had five husbands. She was, I think, on her, she was living with a guy that wasn't her husband, just not in a good situation. He gets in a conversation with her. She ends up coming to the Lord while he's there, and she's excited. His disciples kind of come later, and they say, what's been going on? And Jesus says something to them that's really powerful. He says, guys, I'm eating food you don't know anything about. I, I am spending my life doing something incredible. I just, just did something. It, it was, and you don't know anything about it. And he goes, listen, guys, don't say there's four months and then the harvest. Look. The fields, the people around you, they are ripe for harvest. People are ready. People have had enough of the world. They've had enough of living for themselves. They've had enough of the, the failure of these ideas that have, just, that have been 
anti-Christian and have been anti-God. They just, they just have failed completely. And he says, look, look, I, I'm a, um, I listen to podcasts in my car. Anybody else do that? Anybody besides me? I, I listen to Joe Rogan some. Anybody else like Joe Rogan? It's the most popular podcast, so if you're not a fan, your problem, you know? Hey, <laughs> very popular podcast. And I don't listen to it all the time, but it's three hours long, so, you know, you've you got a life here. But I'll, if I'm driving in my car and it's somebody interesting, it's not, you know, about one, in, about one a week maybe will appeal to me. But I was listening to a podcast of his, and eight years ago, he was talking about Christianity. And Joe Rogan on his podcast said, oh, it's just bull, you know what? Complete, a dead man getting up from the dike. Are you kidding? And he was just going on and on and on railing against Christianity. But he's had a little bit of change. He's had some Christians, actually, it's kind of funny. There was a guy who became a Christian, one of his friends, who was an a atheist at one time. And he said, man, I, this stuff is real. In fact, literally what the guy said on his podcast is, Joe, I'm telling you this, God is real, and Jesus was a bad A. He literally said that on the podcast. It's just a great way to describe. He just literally said that. And it was really interesting, even a few weeks ago, he had a comedian on there. I think his name's Andrew Schultz. And they were talking about the world and how dark it was and how these, it's just getting dark, and they just were troubled about it. And Joe Rogan said to him, you know, that's why people believe in God. And the comedian asked him a question. He says, do you believe there's a God? And you know what Joe Rogan said, Mr. That's all BS? You know what he said? Man, I hope so. I really hope so. I hope there's some meaning. I hope there's some purpose. I hope there is a greater being and something greater than what's going on down here and this is all going somewhere. There's another podcast this guy Andrew Schultz did. I, I could not believe it. It's a guy's podcast. It's where guys get around and they say stupid guy things, about six of them. And they're just going on and on. And there was a clip. And I would play it for you. But I can't. Because they say the F word 19 times in eight minutes. And I know you're a cool church. I just don't think you're that cool yet. You know, I don't think, I'm not that cool yet either. But that's what was going on. Anyways. But during it, this guy had started going to church with his brother-in-law and his wife. And he was telling about it. They go and it's in a cafeteria. He goes, man, it's just, it's just simple. It's rustic. It's not fancy. No buildings. And, you know, expletives all laced in there. And as he's talking about, he says, what's it like? He was telling them about the worship. He was telling them about what was going on. And he literally said this. He said, Christianity is effing awesome. Literally said that. And then he goes, I can see how this took over the world. Over and over again, I was listening to a guy who was involved with the Twitter uh, 
things with, with Elon Musk, and they were talking to him at the end of this interview, and he was talking about how dark all this stuff was, and he was very secular, Ivy League educated, very smart guy, secular journalist, secular writer, somebody we wouldn't think would say this, but at the end of his conversation, he said, you know, that's why in the last few, he says, recently, I've, I've gone back to Christianity. I've gone back to it. And Christianity is real uncomfortable religion because you have to, it, it asks you to do things that aren't easy. But I want a religion. I want a real religion where I'm not in charge of it. It's in charge of me. And he says, I've just gone back to it. And I, and I found peace there. And I found, you know, an answer there. And it was just, and I see this, again, I just, maybe just what I'm looking at. But these are secular, very, very secular uh, venues. And over and over again, you hear it. Man, I hope there's a God. Man, Christianity's awesome. Man, we need this now. And I just think we're in a stage in our country where we've, we've heard enough. We've seen enough crazy. We've seen enough nonsense. We've seen enough absurdity. And we need him. Our country, I believe, is there's just an awareness that's out there. It's really, really powerful. So anyways, that's why I just think we need to get ready. I think we need to be serious, not only about our, our faith and living it, but I think serious about becoming equipped to actually make a difference in other people's lives. I think it's extremely important to do. Let me, let me ask you guys a question. We're going to get into our message. Matthew chapter 4. If I were to ask you, what is the most important thing that Jesus did? After Easter, we would all say what? Crucifixion to resurrection. And you would be right. You are very right. Outside of that, as a person, as a minister, what do you think was the most important thing Jesus did? Healed sick people, didn't he? Think that's pretty wild? I think it's very important he healed sick people. He did miracles. Very important. He preached great sermons. In fact, we are going to read one up from him today. I mean, he preached great messages. He, 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 he brought clarity and he brought truth in a way no one ever has. Pre healed, did miracles, preached sermons. But I, I want to tell you this. I think there is something else Jesus did that's more important than all those things. Because, you see, everybody he healed ended up what? Everybody Jesus heals what today? Dead. Every miracle he did, it's over. Hey, you ate a great meal, bread and fish. But the next day, what happened to those people that enjoyed that miracle? What? They were hungry again. In Jesus' sermons, I, you know, I preach for a living. I know how this goes. You can just do a great job. You can just kill it. Everybody will clap at the end. But a week later, I could ask you, hey, what'd you, what'd you, what, did, what did we talk about last week? And you'll go, oh, uh, you know, uh, something about a podcast, I think I remember. You know, just, that's just what has, just what has. Sermons just have their a, a real, real brief shelf life, very brief. But there's something else Jesus did that is the reason Christianity changed the world. He discipled 11 men. 11. He 
poured his life, he taught the truth to 11 men. And when he left the earth, he looked at those 11 men and he said, I've got all power and authority in heaven and earth. Go make disciples. Go get a small group of guys. Teach them what I've taught you and teach them to actually do it and live it. Christianity started out in a small community with 20 day laborers. In 200 years, the Roman Empire fighting against it in, in, with brutal force. In, in 200 years, two centuries, this is before Constantine ever became uh, emperor. It had grown to over 26% of the Roman Empire. How? One life, changing one life, changing one life, changing one life. You read the history of Christianity, the first few hundred years, there's no such thing as a great... The Apostle Paul was a complete anomaly. The idea of a traveling evangelist, a guy traveling around, that, that didn't happen. It was people, everybody making a difference in the lives of those around them. That was the, that was the method. That's what did it. And I want to just look at a few things about that here in Matthew chapter 4. And let's look at verse... verse 18 Matthew 4 verse 18 as Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee he saw two brothers Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen come and follow me Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, and we, we see this story is repeated in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, chapter 5. It's a little more elaborate. There's a, a, a situation where Jesus tells Peter to cast the nets on the other side of a boat uh, when he's caught nothing all day, and he actually brings in this incredible catch. But this is what Jesus is doing in this story. He's going, and he is going up to guys that are working hard. They're doing their parents' business, and he tells them, follow me. And you see the skills you've learned, see what you've done with your life. You've learned all your life to fish for people. I'm going to teach you how to do something different. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men, how to bring men in, not just fish. And they left their nets and followed him. Now, let me give you a little background of those days and what, what's, what's the significance of this, this episode. Back in those days, in, in early uh, Judaism and Palestine, uh, the coolest job you could have. What do you think what the coolest job was? Oh, you do? Oh, that's great. Yeah, being a rabbi. I thought, that's just not, a, it's like being a preacher. Could you imagine a world where the preacher has the coolest job? I just think that'd be such a sensational place to live. But 
You know, the, cool, the, 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 the rabbi, it was, he was the most respected guy in the community. He taught everybody. Just being a, rab, being a rabbi was the greatest thing you could be. It's what every kid aspired to. And so what happened when you were a little young Jewish boy, when, when, when you turned five years old, every Jewish community had a, had a synagogue, in the, like a little church building, a very simple synagogue. It was the center of the town. It's where they had all kind of assembly meetings and government meetings. They met for church and Bible study. But it, the rabbi would teach the Bible there. And so when kids were five years old, they would go to this school. It was called Beth Sefer. It's called House of the Book. And all these young Jewish kids in the, in the village would all come together at five years old, and the rabbi would teach them the first five books of the Bible. They're called the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and he would teach them the Psalms. And when they would get there, he would give them a slate, and he would take the slate, and he would pour honey on the slate. And he would have the kids lick the honey off the slate, and he would tell them, Torah, the Word of God is like honey. And they would, they, would get in, they would teach them that way. And so what would happen for five years till they were 10 years old, they would go to this school, they would do all kind of memory lessons, and at the end of five years, every 10-year-old young Jewish boy in that part of, of, of Israel, in Palestine, every one of them by 10 years old would memorize the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy, and the book of Numbers. And they would memorize the Psalms. At 10, 12 years old, every boy, every girl knew that much of the Bible by memory. And then they would go, and if they wanted to continue, they could, and they would go to another school. The rabbi would teach them. And at 14 years old, if they had what it took, they would go to the rabbi and they'd say, I want to follow you. And the, the rabbi could either accept them or not. But it's what everybody wanted to do. They wanted to be a rabbi. They wanted to be you know, the, the rabbi in the community. And they would say, hey, I follow you. And, and if you were exceptional, if you were bright, if you just really had it going on, the rabbi would take you. And he would train you to be a rabbi. If you did not... The rabbi rejected you. The rabbi said, oh, you just don't have what it takes. You would go back and do the family business. If your dad made shoes, was a cobbler, you'd go be a cobbler. If he was a farmer, you'd go be a farmer. If he was a fisherman, you'd go fish. And Peter and Andrew and these first disciples that we read about here were those guys. They were young boys. They went to the school. They did the best they could. They probably memorized everything. But they, when they asked to be a rabbi, the rabbi told them, no, nah, I don't think so. And they went back to their family business, fishing and taking care of, of business that way. That's what they did. And so Jesus finds these guys. And Jesus is coming on the scene. And he is the hot rabbi. He is popular. He is speaking like nobody ever spoke. He's doing miracles. People are, are just enamored with him. And he is the great guy. And they're probably part of the crowd just thinking, wow, it's, this guy's you know, incredible. And Jesus does something rabbis didn't do. He goes to them and he says, you follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. That didn't happen. The rabbi was always the one entreated and asked. Rabbis didn't, 
do that. They didn't go recruit. They didn't go, you know, give an invitation to somebody. It, the, they came to the rabbi. He did that. And what's really amazing about this is Jesus chose men who were rejected. He chose men that the rabbis had looked at him. The rabbis knew him. The rabbis had taught him the Bible for years and years and years. And they looked at him and said, ah, nothing special. Nothing special. So it's amazing that Jesus went and picked these guys out. And that's why they dropped their nets in following him. They're not making any great commitment. This is the greatest job they could have. And they have been invited by the most hottest rabbi in the area to be one of his followers. And so they, they were like really, really well on the go. They're ready to go for it. And what Jesus did, what he embarked on, was to teach these guys how to be fishers of men. They had, when you're a little boy, you aren't born knowing how to fish. What happens? You are trained how to use the nets. You're trained how to use the vessel. You're trained how to pull them in, how to use the weights, how to do all these things. Jesus said, what you went through as a young man to learn to fish, I'm going to take you through to learn how to do something else. Reach people, fish for people, minister to people, make a difference in people's life. Today, I just want to close with this thought. He does the same thing today. If we were to look at these guys, Bethesda, where they were raised up, five of the disciples were from there. It was a fishing village of a thousand people. If you were to meet them or you were to meet all the other disciples they had, you would literally find nothing extraordinary about any of them. In fact, the only thing they had in common was how common they actually were. What made them great, what made them successful, what made them capable of doing this task was not them. It was the remarkable teacher. It was their remarkable rabbi. And it was the reality that he had chosen them. The same thing's true today. You know, to some extent, if you're a Christian, you know what's happened to you? Jesus chose you. Jesus wanted you. He came after you. He decided to make you his. We're hearing a guy, a professor in seminary, talked about this. He said, you know, here's how it is when you walk with God. You take the first step. God takes the second step. And the third step, you realize it was God who took the first step. If you're a Christian, there's something remarkable about you. Jesus has chosen you to be a fisher of men, to be somebody who makes a difference in the lives of others. Not someone who's just a good person who raises a family and shows up on Sunday. 
But you can actually be, you can do the important thing, the thing Jesus did that was so important. You can make disciples. You can train others. And I want to encourage you. Don't matter where you're at, I don't know how long you've been a Christian, whatever. I want to encourage you to make that transition. It's great that you get ministry. I love ministering to you. It's a treat. It's a joy every week. But I want you to make that transition to becoming a minister yourself. Being somebody who's been impacted by other people to being somebody who says, I want to make a difference in somebody else's life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is about becoming a fisher of men. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you for this simple point here that you've uh, left us that the original disciples, the guys who really are the reason we're all here they're just ordinary people, they're common people there's nothing about them that made them naturally gifted to do anything they did they just were chosen by a great leader and that's the same thing's true of us. There's nothing about us that can do this task. Even those of us that are talented, even those of us that are, there's nothing about any of our talent that makes us adequate for this task. All that matters is that you've chosen us and that our rabbi is great, that our Lord is great. And I pray for everybody here who is a believer in you. I pray you would get them on a journey. Not only to just being a, a church attender, but to being a church builder. But also to go from being someone who is just ministered to, to someone who becomes a minister and a difference maker. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.